0: Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Brian Cruetzkamp, the head boys water polo coach at Sacred Heart Prep in Atherton, California. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a 5-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to off the and donate to the program thank you very much all right i am here up at the memorial tournament hosted by Bellerman. um we're here for for this tournament this weekend i'm sitting down with brian Camp from sacred heart prep um i really appreciate you sitting down with us and uh seeing you all around the pool deck a lot so um, i'm glad we get to sit down and talk um so thanks for being here
1: yeah, great thanks for having me and um you know much like most of your guests i, I love the show so thanks thank for you. doing
0: this. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so why don't we uh, just dive in and, and ask you right away, um, you know, how you got started in coaching? Uh, okay. So, yeah, my, um, uh, I started coaching after
1: uh, some 14 and unders right after my senior year in high school. I went to Costa Mesa High School, um, went through four coaches in four years. Um, a lot of people don't know my senior year, our final coach was Jason Lynch. So he was my coach by senior year. Okay. Uh, we made it to the finals of at the time they called it two A um, at Belmont Plaza, and at the I believe we lost by the largest margin in history. It was like seventeen to four wow. against South Pasadena. Um, it was a tough, tough loss. But uh, Jason did a good job. We had a you know we had a really unique team. So anyways, um, I was I was very average player you know that fifth or sixth starter on a decent high school team so um, but i loved the game i loved the x's and o's i loved every part of it and i loved coaching so right out of high school um, i did go to golden west for one year and played there but while i was there i started coaching 14 and unders uh, at costa mesa then had the jv job after that and then jason left and went to capo valley uh, so I was 20 years old and I got the head job at Costa Mesa. Wow. So it kinda just fell in my lap and I was all in. I mean, I'm, I'm doing some community college stuff, te- you know, going to school, but I'm just coaching all day and night, you know, diving in. We ended up winning uh, 2A with that team at Costa Mesa. Um, and then I kinda knew like, if I ever wanted to progress, I've gotta get a mentor, I gotta move on, and up, right down the road is Barnett at Newport Harbor. So I go from Costa Mesa to being his assistant on the boys team, um, and that's kinda where my education just takes off. I'm helping yeah. him with the g- girls and boys when they, they just start girls then. Uh, helping him with girls and boys, and I was there for four, five seasons, and the fifth season, we won it all. Um, the first season I was there they had their worst team in history um, and we didn't make the playoffs which was like a first in 20 odd years for a Newport Harbor team come through we win Uh, the fifth year is when we win we had a great group of guys we win all of it and then move on to Golden West College where I thought I was going to be for a good amount of time Um, I love the community college game I I loved being an athlete there all of it so uh, then I was there for just one season uh, we won state. We had some really, really great players that year. Um, and then this Stanford job opened up. So I thought it was once in a lifetime. Um, convinced my wife that we would come up to Northern California for about 18 months, maybe two years. And here I am 18 <laughs> years later <laughs> at Sacred Heart. Um, so uh, yeah, and then you know, I uh, can get into Stanford stuff later, but I was there for three seasons. Um, Played in the NC2A championship game every year I was there, uh, the first year we won it. And then I, you know, I had come to the conclusion that I'm a very good head coach. Uh, I was done being an assistant. Yeah. I wanted to have my own program and just saw this perfect opportunity at Sacred Heart between facilities, the kids, all that stuff. Um, took the Sacred Heart job and that gets
0: us to today. Yeah. yeah. So backtracking a little bit with Costa Mesa, when you were the coach there, um, I'm gonna throw out some old school names. I'm assuming Grealy's yeah. were there. That was the Grealy um, years. Okay, so yeah. uh, I I graduated in '95 from okay. Irvine. So, uh-huh. um, and and then we ch- skip ahead to the Newport Harbor years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your that team that broke the streak from long beach wilson right right okay yeah, so that they had was, won four in a row yeah well yeah I or think even more had, more
1: i think they were you know in that eight to ten range but this was the first year um that they lost it so i'm at newport harbor during those you know, some of the best teams in the history of high school water polo yeah. were at wilson during yeah. those times so we're playing against them but yeah we were the team that eventually won that streak and that's a team with Peter Belden, Ryan Cook, you know, all these really, you know, Steven Gendresina, all these really good Division One players. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that was one, not only to break Wilson's streak, but I think it was the first time in 18 years that Newport Harbor had won a D1 championship. Oh, okay. okay.
0: Yeah. And so when you make the transition to Stanford, you know, I, I mean, we're kind of skipping over Golden West, but... You know, you make the transition from Stanford. Are you thinking to yourself, look, I'm so ready to coach at the highest level. I just coached a really high level high school. Um, Did you just have confidence going in or were you a little bit hesitant at first? Um, Yeah, I was hesitant. So,
1: um, you know, obviously I'd always, you know, about division one, you know, the big four schools, all that kind of thing. But at the time, I really knew that I needed more education. You know, yeah. I was at Golden West, and it's kind of on an island. Um, Hamdorf was there, awesome mentor, great guy. Um, but I knew I needed some one-on-one work, and you know, with coaching now and even at the time then is, you know, being a coach now, you kind of have to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So yeah. I came up to Stanford to start the club and get everything going. And that's a part I never knew about. And mm-hmm. I had to get that from uh, going from scratch with Coach Vargas and all that kind of stuff. So I knew I needed that. Yeah. Um, and I had figured if I go up to Stanford, give this a run for three or four years, learn yeah. all this stuff, learn high level water polo. Um, I'll be ready for almost any job in the
0: country. Yeah, definitely. And so, um, did Sacred Heart Prep have water polo when you got there?
1: Yes. Okay. So, um, not very successful. They've won. They won one, uh, what they call t- Division Two championship before I had arrived in their history. Um, interestingly, the head coach of that team, Dante Detamonte. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> so after he left Stanford, there was this dream team they had over there. So he jumped over there. Um, that team didn't beat Bellarmine or they weren't D1, but they were still really good. They had a couple great players. So they had won one championship before I'd arrived. And I was the fourth coach in four years. So they were, um, actually Jeff Nesmith was the coach there one year. Uh, from Long Beach Wilson, okay. but uh, so they were turning over a lot of coaches. They were looking for stability. They were looking for an aquatic director. They were looking to kind of do it, do it the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump back to the Sacred Heart and and some of the. I mean, obviously a, a tremendous uh, win record at Sacred Heart, um, but I wanted to to touch on because you have your hand in these different. You know, like you were saying, entrepreneurially, you're, you're looking at club, high school, and everything beyond national team stuff. What is your overall feeling about the state of water polo right now?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm optimistic. I mean, I look at all of it top to bottom. Um, I've never seen better kids entering high school. No. like As far as being ready, um, size, speed, everything, we're getting a lot of talent across the board. Yeah. And we're seeing that because of the explosion of 10s, 12s, 14s, all that kind of stuff. On the age group level, and I can only speak for like my area, but... You know the Stanford boys I think they have 230 boys in the club now Jeez. you know we had I think four ABCD teams at JO's for 16 and unders like you know we're, it's there's a lot of numbers so yeah. it's healthy for yeah. sure the high school game um, we have our issues you know small things but I, I again I'm optimistic. there's some been some great high school teams across the country yeah you know um, all over the place. I think it's it's good. We have problems, right? Like, I think the thing we're running into now is coaching and referee issues, um, specifically coaching. You know, what I want to see at the high school level is what we're seeing now is we're seeing guys like you um, who are actually a teacher and a coach. That's very unusual now. Yeah. Um, all the coaches, you've got to be able to do something else, whether you're running a club or, I mean, it used to be Every coach was teacher slash coach. Yeah, you know, yeah. you listen to Don Stahl talking about being a math teacher for that long. I don't know how much longer that's lasting. Yeah, you know, I just, I just don't know if it's, if, if it can last. Mostly, um, mostly just because the demands that we demand on coaches today and the demands we demand on teachers are just so big. I don't know if it's, you know, if guys can do it that yeah, much longer.
0: It's not sustainable. Yeah, um, is there. You know, in terms of like from high school, you obviously are surrounded by these phenomenal universities here up in Northern California. Um, are you seeing any issues with the college game or USA? Are you yeah something so, that you yeah, feel the like you can contribute? Game,
1: um, the college game, uh, I, I'm. I, excited about it right of course we have a lot of parody this year so that's really cool you know when you've coached in high school a long time it's really cool to see your kids move into the next level and watch them play but the thing i love about college is no one really talks about that much is i can now on the weekends open up my computer and watch college water polo Yeah. yeah that wasn't the case five years ago so now i think it's more accessible guys on my team are talking about alum that are playing in college i'm watching high level water polo every weekend on the Pac-12 Network, or you know, almost year-round with the girls' season and everything like that, that's new, um, and I think that matters. Yeah, it I does. Really do. It yeah. definitely
0: does. I mean, it gives it more exposure, and I mean, it, it helps athletes enter at an earlier age with a little bit more knowledge of the game, as opposed to just their first touch point is the first coach that they get. Absolutely, so, you know, and that, yeah. that that makes things difficult. Yeah, um, and so. You're in a very unique position because you were able to coach public schools down south. Mm-hmm. Up in Nor NorCal, it seems more private. You know, definitely base. yes. Um, and so you've seen sort of both sides of the spectrum, Yeah. you know. And and down down south, I think you have uh, a contingent of people who are like, oh, the private schools get everything. Right. Um, well, it's a little bit more even, I would say, up here. For sure. So, do you have any thoughts about the the whole private school versus public school? What kind of issues are you running into? Yeah. Uh, or or advantages are you running right. into?
1: Yeah. No, it, it's always interesting because coaches in general we're just we're cynical, right? Whatever we have. The other guy has it better, yeah. right? So <laughs> I've seen this on both sides. I was at Newport Harbor for five years. And, um, you know, I like to say, you know, when we won CIF that year, um, first time we broke the streak, there were three kids on my team that shouldn't have been at Newport Harbor if you went by the boundaries. Yeah. So it's, it's open district. Yeah, yeah, So it wasn't like this group of homegrown kids that came and won a championship. Um, I was listening to Stahl's podcast, and it was the same thing. He said, you know, this group that won the last public school to win, he said, you know, and Don's a great friend of mine, I always give him grief about this, but I, you know, he flat out said, you know, these three kids, they were from Huntington Beach in this area, but they grew up playing together. Yeah. So I look at something like that, and I say, well, you know, that's not too much different than what a private school is. It's drawing from everywhere else. Absolutely. Um, That's the first thing. I can tell you from what I have to deal with today to get a kid into Sacred Heart, um, the pool of kids available to me is a lot smaller than I ever had at a public school. Mm-hmm. So at Newport Harbor, I would have you know fifteen to twenty junior guards that were in the age group program that I knew were going to show up, and you know those were Newport Harbor kids. Yeah. Um, at my school, I have to find kids that are willing to pay the number. I have to find kids that are okay with the Catholic education. I have to find kids that are okay with the academics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have only a few limited guys I can get in. So, you know, my program today, varsity to freshman, I have twenty-four kids. Wow. Um, and so I look at that and go, Wow, I'd love to have seventy kids. Yeah. Um, and I bet you I could get more kids out of that, but. Then when I was at the public school, I'm saying, "Wow, they could get that kid." So you know, it's very interesting how we all think that we have it the toughest. Yeah. But I could go through everything that's great with the public school and everything that's really tough about being in a private school. Yeah. Um, the other big thing I look at the public schools is the facilities. I mean, I I only know Newport and CDM and these kind of schools, but you probably had this at Northwood too. These are great facilities that are uh, made available to you at a good rate where you can run a club and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of red tape at a private school to use facilities yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Liability, so, all liabilities, these different things, all that so. thing. So um, I know that's a big thing. Um, I think people need to separate out the two issues. There's two issues. One is where a kid arrives his first day of high school, where he chooses to go, mm-hmm. um, and then the another issue is transfers. I think people blend those two arguments together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we are in a de- we're an age now where club is so big, and People are choosing where to go to high school, and people are not ready to totally accept that yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the new landscape. Yeah. Is you well, what? A,
0: and one thing that I've been always really impressed with in Northern California is how cooperative you guys are able to work, because a lot of them are playing for Stanford, and they come back to you guys. And I yes. know you were coaching Stanford, you know, 16s and 18s, when they, they had a really good run. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they are always one of the top teams, but, I, you know, I think you were right there at the top for two or three years in a row. Yeah. Um, and like, how is that? Is, is that difficult? Like, I mean, you're coaching this kid that you know is gonna
1: yeah. ball you up in the fall. It's, it's really difficult and it's coaching without ego, right? So um, the first thing all of this starts with is Vargas at Stanford. So before he got to Stanford, he was a high school coach at CDM yeah. for 18 years. So he understands the importance of high school. So we're all able to do our own thing, but at the same time, they all go to club, which I think is very valuable. Um, so we kind of get the best of all worlds, but you're absolutely right. It takes a coach to stand up and say, I'm gonna coach the heck out of these guys in club. And I know in one month, um, that same kid that I just taught all these things is going to try to come and beat my high school Jeez. team or beat my high school That's team. Tough. It's tough, but you've just got to step back and say it's for the good of the area. Uh, but we have some, uh, Knock on wood, our area is, for the lack of a better term, we're drama free. I mean, we are all close friends. Terry O'Donnell, Jack Bowen at Menlo, Terry's at St. Francis, uh, Colin Mello at Bellarmine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some great competitions, but we all we all come together for club. Yeah. Um, so there's, it, it's really a cooperative kind of area. It's unique. I don't know if there's anywhere else like it in, in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, I very so, yeah. much... I, I mean, I, I'm sort of envious of that because I, I feel like it's valuable to give coaches a little bit of a break too, yep. and see other kids, and the kids get a little bit of break. So, I guess touching on that, and this will be the last point on this on this issue. But so you have two different models. At Newport, you are kind of a closed club. We're playing year round, mm-hmm. and here it's like, okay, go wherever you want. Most likely Stanford, but you may not be on the same team. Um, you've had a lot of success at both. Mm-hmm. What do you prefer?
1: Uh, I prefer this current model. And um, you just touched on the first reason whatsoever. Uh, First reason that's the most important to me. Um, I think it's important for kids to work with a lot of different coaches. Um, I think it's important for my kids not to always work with me. (laughs) Um, And I think it makes me a better coach when I'm away from them a little bit, when I watch them play for another coach. Um, I can see them and I think, okay, that's how you get to that kid. That's that's working for him mm-hmm. or that's not working for him. Yeah. Um, and then when I get these kids back after JO's and they're just my high school season, I'm pretty fired up. You know, I'm not just coming off of JO's with the same high school team and all that stuff. So it refreshes me. I think it refreshes the kids. Yeah. And also, those workouts are fresh. You know, they're playing against new kids every night. Um, going to a tournament with a new coach. They just seem more interested, yeah. I should say. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I, I felt that break when I coached 12s last year. I came back in the summertime and even in the fall and it was like, it really was like almost like a new beginning. It was the first time in a long time I'd taken that long of a break from high school. Yeah. So I could, I could definitely could see that. So yeah. um, we're gonna move on to this this next question about your your time at Stanford. Yeah. Um, What was that like?
1: So um, it was amazing. Um, You know, Coach Vargas is a great, you know, mentor. He was great uh, with me. Gave me a lot of responsibility. Um, Clearly, it was a lot of work. And it was the first time that it hit me, and you probably know this from being at Concordia, of how little coaching you actually do at the college level. um, As opposed to high school and club. Like the number of hours on the deck working with your kids Compared to the amount of paperwork, recruiting, schedule making, meetings, all that kind of stuff, it, it blew me away. Yeah, there's a lot of administration that goes into college jobs. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, we had an amazing team. Um, you know, Tony's, Tony's years, Hudnut, Nesmith, these guys—they're all there. Um, what I missed, uh, what I miss about it still is—I uh, know. Uh, Krikorian touched on this. Everybody, uh, Coker touched on this. When you're in an athletic department like that, you have some amazing people in the athletic department mm-hmm. that you can bounce ideas off of. And it's this giant, people are all working for the same thing. When I was there, I was really lucky. Um, it was these two years that they had hired Bill Walsh to be uh, assistant in the athletic department wow. and just mentor coaches. Yeah. So he would give talks to the athletic department and It just blew me away to be sitting in the same room with Bill Walsh, and he's telling me, you know, here's how you run. This is where I first got, this is how you run a program, right? I'm going to give you 21 things that you need to talk to your team about this year. And you need to find 21 different avenues of when you're going to talk about it. The media, how you handle yourself, how you dress on road trips, how you, you know, all these little things as coaches that we kind of forget about sometimes. But I still have those written down, and I still go through them all. Um, and he talks about, you know, have the football coach come in and talk to your team. They're sick of hearing you, you know what I mean? So I, anyways, but the point was, is that, you know, I got to work with Bill Walsh, you know, so, you know, you can't, you can't put a price tag on that. That was pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. And then those, those are the kinds of things that are, you know, like you're saying, they are really invaluable because you get so stuck in a rut of like what you do. You start to think, oh, well, it's probably the kid sometimes it's just us not giving them something new to think about. You know, it's like they, they definitely tune out after a while.
1: Yes, absolutely. Your, you know, your speeches, your your everything, they get really old. Um, something Bill Walsh had in common with Coach Barnett is, you know, I'm coaching with Barnett in the first couple months, and, you know, I'm giving these guys lectures on how to be the best person in the world. Yeah. And he just pulled me aside one day, and he said, Coach, listen, I'm going to tell this to you bluntly. Make it a treat for them to hear you talk. You, your meetings are too long. Mm. You know you're too, They're lo, you're losing them. Yeah. And uh, he, ta- Bill Walsh talked about that quite a bit. It's like, yeah. how are you going to change the message? Um, if you ever bring in a guest speaker in front of your team, um, you'd be surprised how much they perk up. Yeah. and They they listen because it's not your voice. Yeah. It's probably the same exact thing you would say. But the different voice changes. It. Yeah, it's like it's a crazy. kid.
0: It's like a dad to your to your son. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't yes. listen to a word I say. Yeah.
1: But if you told him something, he would follow yeah. it. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, you and so you have um, coached some spectacular players, not just in the high school level, but obviously at the collegiate level. I mean, uh, Tony Azevedo as one is yeah. obviously the uh, the greatest American water polo player, uh, in my opinion, ever. Yes, I agree. Um, what similarities have you seen between looking at what Tony was doing and what you see even now with your kids uh, at yeah, Sacred
1: Heart? The, the great ones,
0: um, yeah. So
1: there's similarities. So we got to start off with the normal stuff, right? We know that they train hard, they come early, they stay late, they live, You know, they do they do stuff just a little bit better than everybody. Yeah, I get all that. That's the standard. They're never late. You know these kind of things. But Tony was interesting because you know. Uh, the great story about Tony was I coached Tony when he was a freshman in high school on like the zone teams I was an assistant on the junior team when he was doing all that stuff yeah. and, you know you knew he was special at that age we knew that but um, he I don't think I was a good I don't I know for sure I was not a great coach um, at that time I just you know I, I don't think I was very sharp but he would make eye contact and he would listen to me and I talked to Ricardo and I said wow you know that kid's coachable and Ricardo said you know what I tell him? he can get something from every single coach that works with him. Yeah. You, can, you can go with it later, but uh, you can pull something out of every single situation. And that's what Tony did. So, the answer to your question is um, the coachability. Like, Are they pulling knowledge from everyone else? Um, even if they're not the best coach in the world, yeah. they're listening. Um, and then the other thing I would say, I have noticed, um, this goes for Tony and all these other guys, but it's just accountability i find when a guy like that has a bad game he's the first one to stand up in front of his team and say my bad like i messed that up i'm better than that i have a bad game you guys can rely on me um you very rarely find a great player who you lose a game and then they say that's on you guys you know i'm amazing that's on you yeah so um what happens in those situations and why those stanford teams were so good everyone was rallying around tony like they wanted him to be great because he was accountable in the locker room yeah. and taking responsibility. Yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm assuming that someone like Tony with that natural leadership that he had because he'd been around coaches his entire life, that he was able to, and this is a total assumption, just yeah. based off of my knowledge of coaching good players, he was very delicate about being able to build somebody up and just say, like, get the most out of his teammate. Did you experience that with him? Without question.
1: I mean, I think the biggest example is uh, Peter Vareles. So Peter Vareles was a very good, he's a good high school player from the East Bay, you know, medium recruited, you know, got into Stanford, left-hander, um, and Tony had just lost his left hander, which was Nesmith. Like those two were, <laughs> they were on the same page at all times. And yeah. Tony knew he needed a lefty, right, to get on the ball in the drives and someone mm-hmm. open on that side of the pool. And they would spend time after practice. And he was great bringing him along. You know, fast forward, Varelas is an Olympian. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he may have gotten that good. I don't know, but it was it was amazing watching that kind of growth but Tony believed in all of his teammates you know he's working with him he's not coming down you got to be you know he's always building them up Um, and so I I think not Varelas but in general he
0: makes very average players really good Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, yeah no that's that's great and did you ever experience something on the other side a great player who maybe was Really hard on his teammates, and maybe didn't get the same result, or maybe yeah. he did. I mean, was um, there? An, you don't have to name names. Yeah, but the same. no, for sure. I've
1: seen it. You know, I've seen it on the highest levels. I've seen it. You know, on, in high school, um, a guy who is you know pointing the fingers. I'm doing everything out here. You got to do that. Yeah. Um, I think your teammates turn on you, and that they, they almost you know, they. They don't like you. They despise you yeah. because they don't want you to be successful. Eventually,
0: they will turn on you.
1: Eventually, they will turn, yeah. and they're like, "Hey, this whole program's about X player. This is getting ridiculous." Yeah. But if they're the really great ones, their teammates are rooting for them and want to put them forward, like in the limelight.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, what are some of the like specific skills that you've seen that translate from you know that high school level to the collegiate level and and maybe beyond? But I think most people. For listening, really go like, okay, as a high school player, what can I do? What should I work on that like other coaches are looking for? Yeah, is there some um,
1: skills? Yeah, so there's basic skills. Um, I, I really liked, you know, I really liked what Monty Niskowski told me at one point. I got to travel with him a little bit with the national team, and the man's brilliant. But mm-hmm. he says, you know, you, you got to be a jack of all trades, but a master of one. Like, you better be really good at one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I've kind of seen. Like, the good players we know, um, they're great at defense, they're great at offense, they're fast, you know, they got all, they check all the boxes, but they have one really special thing. So I always ask the kid, like, what's your special thing? Are you a great vertical shooter? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you a two meter man that can score the ball or draw exclusions, whatever it is? Um, So, you know, when you ask what skills equate, The normal ones, right? The shooting, the toughness, all that thing. But I really want kids that are great (laughs) when I'm recruiting or when I'm coaching in high school. I want one special skill, you know, Um, and you can plug all those pieces together.
0: Yeah. 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 So you're looking really for at the, you value the, what we would call back in the 90s or even early 2000s, the utility player. I mean, you really want
1: 20 utility guys. I want 20 utility guys for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. so you've won multiple championships um, at, at every level um, and you were in the final, as you said, as a player. So you've, mm-hmm. you've had a lot of championship success. I believe it was eight, uh, we were saying before, eight uh, up here in NorCal with Sacred Heart. Um, you know, I, I think it's, everybody talks about winning and, you know, the payoff but I think there's that one piece that that people don't talk about, which is the motivation to continue to win, never be satisfied, and just always going for the next championship. What can you tell us about that? I mean, winning eight is spectacular. (laughs) So Um,
1: that's hard. So yeah, I think, I would say if you had to pin down one thing, that's probably the hardest part of coaching. Like winning one, is pretty cool. Like you get to the mountaintop and you're like, that's it. But then to challenge your team to change things up. So specifically, the couple things that I, I really focus on. One, the great thing about our jobs is every 12 months, we have a whole new job. Yeah. We have a whole new team. We have to do different things. We may have a great two meter. You know, all these little things, you've got to be able to teach almost anything. You have a counter attack team, you have a big two meter man, you better be able to teach all of it. Yeah. And so that's unique, is being able to change your coaching style every year. The next part, I think, um, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, but um, it, coaches are paranoid, and I'm, I'm right at the lead of it. You know, at <laughs> any point, you know a team can beat you, yeah. and you've got to be preaching that to your team. Um, you've got to have video. You've got to take it so serious yeah. so you never, you, know, you never have a downfall. Um, to win eight years in a row, that's, to me, that's not, you don't have talent eight years in a row. You know, there are some years we do have a larger talent base than the other yeah. teams, but not always. So you got to have a program. You know, you got to have all the other things in line—guys showing up on time, training in the off season. You know, all that kind of yeah. thing. Um, so that matters to me. Um, we focus a lot on that. And then the last thing is—it sounds, you know, sounds the opposite of what should happen. But you don't talk about it. Like I don't stand in front of my team and say. You guys are going to be the team that loses the streak, yeah, yeah. Because they inherited a streak, right? And um, I don't, I don't want to put that even more pressure on them, because I think they start playing with pressure. Like we don't want to let all the alumni down, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, The streak's going to end. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't want it to end this year or next, whatever, but it will end. But you can't put that pressure on the current team because you had a good group of seniors last year. Um, I think the last unique thing that we do, um, and I learned this from um, Vargas from his CDM years, is focus on getting to the semifinals and focus on the semifinal game. That, to me, is the hardest part, is winning a semifinal match. Yeah. Um, I look at you guys in that open division, and I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> like first round, first round. Try yeah. to win the first round yeah, would yeah. be a good goal. Yeah. But I think everyone stands in front of their team and says, we're going to win. We're going to go to at the time Belmont Plaza, and we're going to hold up that trophy. When you get to Belmont Plaza, or you get to the championship game at Woolett, um, your kids are going to be so fired up. Yeah. Like the, your only job at that point is to calm them down. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's fine. Yeah. So it's more getting to the semifinal and playing your very best there to get to the match. Yeah. Um, that's what always we kind of focus on.
0: Absolutely, no, and, and when you're in those games, to, you know, I mean, we lost in the semifinal with the girls last year. Mm-hmm. When you're in those games, plays are gonna go your way and there's gonna be some plays that just don't go your way and it's how you manage those sort of expectations and those emotions. Yeah. If the coaches, you see the coaches that get nuts during those games, they're usually the teams that end up losing yeah. those games. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, think, I, I totally agree. And you've coached enough big
1: games, and I know this as well. The biggest games, this is Barnett speaking too, the biggest games – Are actually the ugliest games. Yeah. Like very rarely do you go to a a championship game or a semifinal game, and you're going bar bar head in and all (laughs) this everything like that. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's sloppy. There's a lot of loose balls. Kids are nervous. Yeah. Um. And the real talent is winning those games. You know the the kind of games that are in the weeds.
0: Um. Are you? And this is kind of off topic. Are Mm -hmm. you? Um a big rules guy, do you like really hammer down rules for, for the guys or are you kind of loose?
1: Uh, in my program? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say I'm very much a big rules guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we have, you know, rules and standards for sure. And I'm fortunate now I'm in year 14, uh, my 15th season, sorry, at Sacred Heart, where I don't, have, I don't need to enforce them that much because they're just expectations yeah, now. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really proud of the fact, like, I haven't had a kid have a red card or get excluded for fighting or anything in over 10 years Wow! Um, so they're disciplined you know um, I, I really like that we don't have kids that are late for practice you know someone last asked me the other day what do you do with a kid if he's like gonna leave for a family vacation in the middle of season or if he's constantly late and I honestly said I don't know because it doesn't happen yeah. you know so I know it takes a while to get there um, but once you build that culture, it's just there and they just know and they just do
0: it. Yeah. So, and I think that yeah. was part of your point with going back to uh, talking to Bill Walsh about how to build a program is different than coaching a team. Exactly. that's two completely different jobs. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, so if there is well, actually, one, one more question yeah. on this uh, eight in a row. What is the hardest part about? Winning back to back, yeah. Um, if you could pinpoint yeah, one, if you pinpoint one thing, it's complacency. Um, um, you or the team, uh, both, or both?
1: both, both, yeah, for sure. I think as a coach, you have to constantly challenge yourself, and you've got to change things up. You have to move your message. You have to do things differently, so guys don't just get into this monotonous rut. Yeah. Um, I think a great part of coaching um, is being an actor. Um, people don't realize this, but you know, you're setting the temperature every day. Yeah. If you know that you're going to beat a team by 10 and you come out and you act that way, then your team's going to fall flat on yeah. your face. But yeah. you've got to come out, you've got to be sharp, you've got to show the team that you care and that you are very interested in this game. But yeah. complacency certainly hits. Um, and it's really difficult being the team that wins every year you're, you're everyone's game of the year yeah so you're getting everyone's best every time you play them um, so I think the last part you have to do is let go of some things this tournament's a great example we just lost a really tough game to a good Wilson team they deserve to beat yeah. us but I can't focus on this tournament like yeah. I have to focus on the playoffs yeah. Um, yeah and so it stings and of course we would have loved to play you guys and everything and that's a bad loss in my opinion they outplayed us but
0: if anything, that's a great loss. Yeah, I got our full attention. Um, and so you're a believer in that. I mean, because I am too. Yeah. I, I really am. Like sometimes yeah. you need you do need to lose a game to really snap back into what you're trying to do.
1: Yes, I, I'm I'm a big believer in that. And everyone wants to talk about last year. We had an amazing team, right? We were one of the top three in the country for sure. Yeah, we won the North South. We had beaten Harvard Westlake in the finals of the North South. Like we had a great team, um, and. Everyone wants to talk about, you know, how do you compare to Southern California? You finished this in this tournament, and this guy is there. And you've got to eliminate all that noise. The only thing that matters is our league and our playoffs. And so, you know, getting back to your point of how do you repeat? How do you do all that? You keep them zeroed in on that prize. Yeah. This loss was the absolute best thing that could happen to our team. We're ranked number one, and we're starting to kind of believe it. And so, you can, as you were just mentioning, you can preach it as much as you want, but until they have a stinging loss and are going home with tears in their eyes and everything, yeah, um, they're not going to believe you.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see that. So, yeah. um, if there was, if there was something, if there was something you could change in the world of, like water polo, what would that be? So right now, um, just
1: specific to my area what I'm really trying to change is our girls' season. Mm-hmm. So, we are so backwards here where our girls play the same season. They're in season right now in the fall. It's like and community college. Yeah, exactly. It's it's totally wrong um, to me because what I saw in Southern California, guys like you, guys like Barnett, being able to coach both genders, um, even if it's in an assistant role, mm-hmm. um, pool time issues, uh, referee issues, uh, we're splitting in our referee pool in two. Um, our girls are getting the short end of the stick, yeah. um, and so and they don't get to play the Southern California teams like we get to play. Um, so it's just the way it was created up here, and we're getting it pushed through. We're really fighting, and what it comes down to is weather. So, and you know, obviously, my argument is the only people that if it's cold, only the coaches suffer. Yeah, you know, the and kids the are parents. in the water and the parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, that's like my main focus because it's just specific to this area. Yeah, um, I think my other thing, I coached 10s and 12s the last couple of years. Um, so I really got to see what's going on in the age group world and everything. I loved it. My own I coached my own kid. Um, what I am noticing is as we get these really good 12 and under teams, these really good 14 under teams, the entry point for a good athlete that's 12 or 13 years old is getting more and more difficult. So if I can find a basketball player, we all know we want these best athletes, but if I find this great athlete who's a seventh grader or an eighth grader and he wants to come try water polo at Stanford, he's gonna be on the Stanford D team tomorrow and he's gonna be like, no thanks. When we were growing up, there was always a good entry point for athletes. So that's what I get a little bit concerned about is how do we, we have this growing thing and everyone's great, you know, we have all these huge teams, but do we still have an entry point for the kid that wants to try it water polo at seventh or eighth grade? Yeah. yeah and that,
0: that actually takes it back to the public private school thing because at the public school when you have 70 or 80, 75 kids coming in as freshmen, there might be two or three kids that start their freshman year like we used to do. Yep. And end up being good players because they go through the program and they're very athletic and they just kind of fell through the cracks. They were doing other yeah. things. Yep. That's almost gone away.
1: It's now. totally missing. Um, and if I look at my team's the last five years, varsity contributors, there's less than one that yeah. came out as a freshman. Like, so we've lost that entry point for those kids. Um, and Coker alluded to this next point. We've also pretty much lost the swimmers. We yeah. used to have like these amazing USA swimmers that would do both their freshman year, and we would mold them into water polo players. So, I, although I still think the game's really high level, yeah, those those are two markets that I think are kind of going away. Um, so I don't know what you do about that. We we're, we're not going to blow up age group, but I still think that you know the age group and these other people have to have an easy avenue to join when you're 13. Yeah. It's, it's almost too intimidating now when you're 13. I, I,
0: I completely agree. I mean, there's 1,400 teams that will beat varsity teams in your area and my area like 100%. And yeah. so if you start as a 13-year-old, you're like, I can't, right. there's no way I can there's do There's no this. way.
1: And these are 13-year-olds that are really good at basketball or baseball <laughs> or football, and they come out to our sport. and they're one of the worst ones yeah. they're, they're out yeah. um if i have a football kid who goes out and tries basketball he'll have some success right away and be like yeah I, I can stay with this yeah so that's difficult i don't have an answer for it but i do think we're missing out on those great great
0: athletes yeah no that's a very very good point i mean we with the growth there's always going to be suggestions that need to be thrown in the box because like you alluded to this earlier the growth is great but the coaching is something that we're lacking. The officiating is something that it's not keeping up with the growth of the number of games. So you have guys doing 10 games in a row at the yep. Evan Cusino cup. That's tough. You know, yep. that's really difficult for any referee to do that. Yep, so that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah. So who have been your biggest mentors uh, in your coaching career? Um, so three, uh, I have three that I would definitely say,
1: obviously coach Barnett, um, you know, he was, I'll, I will, I'll argue that he was the best coach we've ever had in the United States wow. between national team, high school, um, watching him, you know, switch over to the girls in the twilight of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think almost every coach you would say is like, wow, this, you know, when you came across him, he was humble. He was willing to give advice. But so he helped me not just with the X's and O's stuff, but really how to build a program how to be a professional Mm -hmm. um how to deal with parents you know all these kind of things that he had absolutely wired at newport um and and until the day he died he was still a mentor to me um i still you know visited with him and saw him um so that one was really tough and and on that note it's really funny you know no one really Talks about this that much, but he, I'm sure you knew Barnett as well. But the most Barnett thing ever was the fact there was no memorial service. Yeah. You know that's Bill in a nutshell. Yeah. Like he, I mean, talk about someone who wants no credit. He wants nothing about him. So that's what he really taught me. Yeah. Um, so Bill was uh, amazing. Um, next, obviously, John Vargas. Um, I was uh, when I was coming up in coaching. I took the time to drive up to Belmont Plaza twice a week and watch his practices with national team. Um, eventually I was able to run the clocks with Barbara Calvis and be her helper. And then he gave me a couple trips when someone needed to video or whatever. So he was really great with me. And back to your point, he was coaching at CDM. So we were like rivals, but he was really great with me. He was great with at Stanford learning from him. And then Radko, um, who was, you know, definitely considered the best coach in the world. And I, I get why I had eight months, um, that I worked with him. Um, as his assistant and I would spend, we'd go we at morning training, we'd go back to his house um, in downtown Long Beach. Uh, I think I gained probably 30 pounds during that time because <laughs> all we would do is go back to his place and watch video. The man was just, he, he's a machine. I mean, he can watch junior team, senior team. He's watching club from Europe. At the time he was learning English by just watching the news. Mm. Um, so this is when he first arrived, but I can see why, um,
0: why he is who he is. Do you do you find that you found, because there's some coaches that are just possessed. I mean, we've heard that. Do you feel like you've you picked up on that? Um, yeah. So I picked up on some of it, like the drive. And um,
1: uh, his presence on the deck around the team was pretty amazing, yeah. right? So I picked up on some of it. But what he's doing or what he did with our national team and what he's done with other countries in the world, uh, you can't do that in high school. I mean, the way those guys were training and, you know his deal was just hard work yeah. you know there wasn't any special x's and o's but um and what he was training for his brilliance is like he's training for an 8 day tournament so us in high school we're training for one game yeah. but he has these guys at the point where they're so physically fit that at the you know on the last day of the tournament they're still grinding yeah um so he was he was definitely special and he was great and to tell you the truth like i i couldn't hang you know, I had a wife and I want to start a family and everything else I would have loved to have stayed, but um, that's not a lifestyle I could, I could buy into. Yeah. You yeah. Know, no. He's single. He's, you
0: know, he is just water polo only. It's wow. Pretty incredible. That's, that yeah. is incredible. Um, and so final question, um, and I think this whole podcast has become really, I mean, I get emails all the time about just coaches saying, thank you for this advice or that advice. Um, and you touched on a lot of that in this episode, but what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah. if you could, yeah, a lot. So, um, yeah, uh, in,
1: who uh, I think this was, um, uh, Swanee up at, uh, was talking about this in his podcast. If you ever watch a tape of yourself when you're younger, it's just flat out embarrassing. You know, like the the things you either said to a kid or did, and you were, you know, a complete spaz and a Fourteen and under, you know, nothing game and some. And I'm like, "What were you doing?" So that was embarrassing. That the passion needed to be refocused. But Barnett gave me some great advice. Um, um, you know, the make it a treat to hear him talk, hear him talk, hear you talk. And I yeah. think that's something. A lot of we have so much to share with the kids. I think you have to be careful when you share it with them and you can tell with your own team if they're actually listening or they're just pretty excited they don't have to get in right now but you know we would go weeks at a time and i go weeks at a time of just literally not having a team meeting um we'll talk in the water about the tactics we're going to work on but if you just do that and then when you finally have your team meeting you have all ears and it's special yeah um we don't do any team cheers before games. We save that for the finals, you know, all these kind of things. But I would, that would be my big advice. My next advice, and I've gone all over the place on this, is have a plan to deal with parents. That's it. I mean, we like to sit here and say, you know, forget the parents. You know, this is ridiculous. There are this. Um, we're in a day and age now where you better have a plan. Yeah. Um, and you better have a policy. Um, and you better stick to it. Um, and it better be up front. I take a lot of pride in doing a lot of parent education. Um, I talk to my parents about how they should be acting on the deck. Mm -hmm. I talk to my parents of how are you gonna deal with a lack of playing time? What are you gonna do in this situation? Um, You know, I talk about parents, you know, volunteering. And I don't think a lot of coaches get up in front of the parents and start off with the statement, we're on the same side here. I'm in it for your kids, you're in it for your kids. Like, let's work together, Yeah. but here are the ground rules. Yeah. so I think more and more, you better have a plan, you know, to do all of that.
0: I think there's this notion that a lot of younger coaches believe that the higher level, more experienced coaches don't have to deal with parents anymore. Yeah. And it's just simply not true. No. You're always going to have, I mean, it's it's their most precious thing in the world. Right. Do you now as a parent who's, you know, at 12, 13 years old around that age, same with me. Do you find it easier to deal with parents now?
1: I be- do. I do. Yeah. I do. yeah. Um, and I think you you uh, yeah, i think you alluded to this on another podcast. When you get closer to their age, it becomes easier. Yeah. I feel like as I was coming up, I kind of had a huge chip on my shoulder and like a parents would walk in and it would be like, it's me against them right yeah. now. Like, yeah. you know, don't you dare, you know, question my judgment. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think you get to this point of peace of where, you know, you're like, I, I get why they're passionate. I get it because I'm just as passionate about my own kid. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't handle myself that way for sure, but um, I get why. And I get now the messages I have to get to them beforehand of what I would want to hear as a parent. Yeah. Um, And I I tell them these things and they, you know, of course there's still, you know, issues, but we have a very clear program of how you're laying it out, um, of how we're going to deal with issues. The thing with parents today and Barnett said, this is going to drive me out of coaching, which is the truth is. You know it's a business now club is a business they're paying a dollar back in the old days there was not that it was just you you know you go to school your math teachers your high school coach there's no say but unfortunately whether you like it or not there is a say now
0: yeah no i i agree there's and and there's a lot of these disillusioned stakes that are not really there like as if you have some ultimate power to get your kid into this top university when you really don't. I mean, the coach is going to decide who they want. You know, like you can recommend and I'm sure you have relationships where you could say you need to have this guy. I'm sure there's coaches out there that listen and say, okay, I'll take them. But at the end of the day, it's the college coach's decision and and there's nothing you could really do about that. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's the, the biggest piece of advice now. Um, with that, um, I think the last piece of advice with young coaches, um, And this is where i really messed up all the time and it just caused churn all week long for me was i have this rule where there should never be a surprise on game day there should never be a surprise when you announce an a or b team okay so learn to have really difficult conversations that's the hardest part one of the hardest parts of coaching in my opinion sitting down with a kid and saying I got bad news you know you're going to be on jv this year or i got bad news you're actually being replaced in the starting lineup and here's my reasons. But when we go to the game on Saturday, here's what you can expect with playing time. Yeah. Um, then when you get to the game, you don't have parents and kids going, what is this? Yeah, giving and, you the stare. Yeah, giving you the stare, and all of a sudden you get a three-page email, like, yeah. I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Um, you make an announcement for JO teams. Like, a kid should not find out via email that he was actually put down to the B team. Yeah. He should know it, and it stings. Um, but if you take care of all of these little problems, You know, before the season, you know, talking to kids saying, in a really important match, I see you playing X number of minutes. And that that number actually might be zero. And if you're not okay with this, we got to talk. You know, that way, when you're getting to the most important moments, they're not happy, of course, but there's no surprises. And you're not following up with an email, a meeting, a phone call, angry, you know, angry parents in the stand, all of it gonna
0: save you a lot of grief
1: yes absolutely yeah. but it's not fun having those conversations No. no you know absolutely. Yeah.
0: well uh, Brian I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sitting down uh, and doing this episode I mean I've always seen you from from the other side and you invited us to that first north-south challenge yeah. you know, with Northwood so we've gone back way yeah. uh, a long way but a um, uh, very impressive streak of coaching and I hope wish you good luck this year uh, in in this last championship here, nine in a row. Hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you.